everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where the bump I got on my head yesterday is the size of an egg, and I think it is actually starting to talk to me. Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 2 p.m. as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Shout out, by the way, to my kids who are on a trip day today, have their phones, which uh, adds a tremendous, a, a totally different dimension to the day when all of a sudden you're in the middle of your work day and your kids are calling every two seconds because they got their phones. And it's not that you're not happy to hear from them. You certainly are, and I love you both, but I actually do need to be on the air now. So shout out to you guys. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, knowing you, you'll probably turn it off in a couple minutes because uh, I am the most embarrassing mom. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. If you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. We are actually coming to you from the Lower East Side. Not so beautiful, so I didn't call it that right now. It's pouring, but we like it here anyway. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what Shlomo Marmelstein does. Friend me on Facebook. Send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, Miriam at NahumSiegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. As listeners know, I will, please God, return to you afterwards. You can also follow us on Twitter, NahumSiegelNet. All one word. We have three guests today, by the way, full lineup, and Avrami is going to keep me uh, on task. By the way, I didn't say hi to Avram. Hey, Avram, sorry about that. How's it going? Thank God. How are you? I'm doing well, praise the Lord. I am uh, almost uh, completed a second week of uh, being back on my um, exercise regimen. I've been doing exercise, a recumbent exercise bike. And oh, I- for the bike you stole? Well, it didn't come to that. Sadly, <laughs> I was it was just given. Sadly, just uh, for those of you, for those of you, as we like to say, keeping score at home, Avrami didn't have to steal the bike, and that somehow. Or I was planning was a caper, and the caper was ruined. But and then I used it for all when I first got it. Didn't use it for a long time since the baby was born. But this past couple weeks, I've been in it every single day. You know, twenty five, thirty minutes, and. Uh, are you seriously yeah. blaming the fact that you haven't been exercising on your kid? I just haven't had time, whatever. Oh. But now I'm back into it. So now it's and actually now a couple times I was holding him, like he was like lulling him to sleep while I was on it. That's I was thinking it's kind of like the rhythm of like the car or something, <laughs> and he's been fine with it. In the immortal words of Mark Zomick, should I call you a wambulance? Yeah, <laughs> that, he sent me that that email before. And Mark, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are. I know you love that I just quoted that. Oh, and a shout-out to Joey Bodner. He's listening as well. Hello, Joey. Let's go to our favorite segment. You know what that means. It's time for a fortune cookie. By the way, shout-out to anyone who owns a Chinese restaurant. I'm really low on fortune cookies. So do me a favor and hook me up. Here we go. A rum. I'm not feeling good about this one because it's it's bent. Oh, brother. Your example will inspire others. I don't know about today. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Thank you. And that is a glimpse into what's been going on here at the Nahum Siegel Network. By the way, you know, we could talk about my eating salad. Is that it? Very nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's take care of some business. Today is national holidays. It is National Minority Donor Awareness Day. So I guess if you're donating minorities, I really don't know what that means. Respect for Parents Day. Nice, except that is supposed to be 365. I'm going to be in my parents' car with them driving down to Baltimore for a few hours today, so we're going to really be able to uh, to let's, focus on that. Or let's see if you still respect them once you get to Baltimore. It is also Spider-Man Day, and for that I do a shout-out to my friend Sasha Simak, who is a little too obsessed with uh, with Marvel Comics, but that's okay. It's also U.S. Air Force Day, World Wide Web Day, and World Scout Scarf Day. Yeah, I don't know what that means. But here's the most important one. It's Girlfriend's Day. Nothing? I'm not in that Parsha anymore. I know, I know. But see, that brings me back to my whole theory about what happens when you get engaged. Like, the whole dating thing is a ruse. It's just just to seal the deal. You do this, you do that, you go out, you have fun, you whatever. Then you get engaged. Gamarnu. I don't think I've been to a Ranger game in 18 years. That's all I'm saying. Nothing. Didn't you just go to Disney World? Okay, that was work. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a second. Today's hashtag, by the way, is a continuation of the last hashtag. It's hashtag Disney without kids. Yes, we had a great time. I have a wonderful, wonderful time with my kids in Disney, and frankly, I have a wonderful time without my kids in Disney. It is a completely different experience. And yes, I stood online, as many of you noticed on Facebook. I stood online and waited for pictures with Mickey, with my husband, and no children. That's right. I was one of those people. 
But the funny part of the entire story is the fact that Matzah Swine Guest, who hosts JM Sunday, didn't realize I was down there without my kids. He liked my pictures on Facebook and then texted me Monday, so how did your family enjoy the trip? I said, what family? It was just me and Steven. And he wrote back to me, you stood online to take pictures of Mickey without your kids? And I said, yes. Yes, I did. That is why it was a funny story. We um, So my shout-out then to Matis, who was paying attention to my pictures, and to all those people who made comments about my Goofy picture, which was myself, Stephen, and Pluto. No, I wasn't messing up that that was Goofy. It wasn't Goofy. I was just making a joke. Anyway, we have our first caller. Are we ready to go, Avram? Excellent. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. My first guest is patiently on hold, and he is he must be exhausted. That's all I have to say, because Elliot Steinmetz literally – landed this morning in his real life. He is Associate General Counsel at Arbor Realty Trust, as well as the head coach of the North Shore Hebrew Academy Boys Varsity Basketball Team. But in his, and I use this term sparingly, uh, in his spare time, he was the Maccabi coach for the Maccabi USA Youth Men's Basketball Team that recently returned, as recently this morning, with gold medals around their neck. Hello, Elliot. Hey, man, how are you? I thank God and well. Congratulations on your win. Thank you. This is not your first win. Uh, overseas, no, it's, my, it's thankfully my second. Exactly. So which one do you want to talk about first? Because, of course, I may be biased towards the first win, <laughs> but the second win is obviously huge. The first win was was in Australia. It was. And you were representing? Uh, also the United States. It was also the 18-under team. And you also came home with gold? Correct. And this team was the USA team, but the games were in Israel? That's right. And how did these two teams differ? It was two, it was two years apart, correct? Uh, about I think it's two and a half, but yeah, about about two years apart. Okay, so how did these two teams differ? Because either way, you came home with the gold medals, and um, but it wasn't obviously it's not the same group of kids. It is not at all. Um, there's a big difference in in that um, you're you're playing in a much higher competition level in the games in Israel. The uh, the other countries are bringing pretty much their top crew. The fact that the games are in the summer kind of lend towards uh, an easier time getting talent to come. Uh, one of the issues we had, and we were lucky to get Shelby Rosenberg and Israel Feld to come with us to Australia, but one of the problems we ran into recruiting for Australia was that it was mid-season. Mm. And a lot of the top you know, a lot of top players are in, you know, certainly in the public schools and in, and in non-Jewish private schools are in the middle of their seasons and holiday tournaments and being recruited and being watched by college coaches. In the summer, uh, with kids who have just graduated uh, high school, which is the team that we had, which is pretty much except for one kid, every kid is going to college next year. Uh, they're pretty much done with AAU. They're done with being scouted. They've all made their commitments to their Division One, two II, or three schools, and wow. they're kind of off for the summer. And we're able to get, you know, a little bit of a higher talent pool to try out and come to the games. How did you prep this team differently than you prepped your Australia team? Uh, it, it was very different. Australia, we kind of showed up. Uh, it was a two-week trip. We showed up. We had about three days to get in about two and a half practices um, and kind of just went from there and, and learned on the go. With the Israel trip, we had everybody fly into Philadelphia on Memorial Day weekend. We had about four practices over the course of the weekend. Uh, we then went to Israel about a week and a half early and had training camp there where we were able to get in a good 10, 12, 13 practices before we even played a game. And is it is it just drills or just practices, or are you doing other activities with them beforehand to kind of build that team and build that camaraderie that you're clearly looking for on the court? Well, in Israel, in Israel, in Maccabi USA actually has a great program called Israel Connect. So while the first four days or so were really just two days, and we had practice at 6.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the afternoon with kind of just free time in between around the hotel, the second week we had practices in the morning, and then we had different touring and, and, and other events in the afternoon and evenings where the kids really got to know each other, uh, meet people from other sports, meet people from other delegations, meet people from other age levels. It was, it was really overall very well done. Tell me about some of the kids who are on this team. Tell me about their backgrounds. Are there names that we, that we already should be familiar with from like yeshiva leagues? Um, mostly not. Uh, we did have we did have a couple of guys from the uh, from the yeshiva world. Uh, Judah Cohn is a kid from uh, from Frisch in Jersey who mm-hmm. was on the team. We had a kid from Shalhevet in California, uh, Joseph Fallis, goes by JoJo. And um, Zach Yosher, who probably a lot of a lot of wooden people would know, who's from Houston uh, and has been in the news for, you know, for uh, other uh, 
basketball reasons as well in the past couple of years with his school in in, uh, in Houston. Right. He was on the team as well. Uh, the rest of the team is not names that I think people in, in our Orthodox world rudely know, but uh, perhaps they should. Are they, and they, all of these, and for, for lack of a better word, just because it makes me feel old, all of these kids um, have all signed with Division One schools? No, not all of them are Division One. We had, I, I think, around four or five kids that are going to play Division One. We had a couple that are Division Two, and then we had a few that were playing high-level Division Three. And YU is Division Three. Correct. And so, are some of the kids from this from your team moving on to YU? Uh, I believe only one player will be playing at YU. Really? How does yeah. how does that make you feel? Well, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's, it's something I would certainly like to see change, I guess, in the future. But uh, for now, that's kind of the way it is. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell. You know, we we have kids that are that played for us in Israel that are going to play for Princeton, Harvard, and wow. Cornell. So it would be difficult to probably tell them to uh, right. you know change that. No, I hear that. Elliot Steinmetz joins us. He was the coach for the Maccabi USA youth men's basketball team that won gold. The 18 and under, correct? That's correct. Right, and they, he landed this morning. Who came back with you this morning? The whole team went back. Uh, we, we flew out of Israel last night. Most of the guys were on the same flight going to JFK this morning. There were one or two that stayed. One kid actually stayed for the year in Israel. Another one stayed with his family, and the third one flew to Philly. Tell me what the tell me what the scene was like this morning at JFK. Uh, waiting on the customs line was was uh, an adventure. Uh, you had you know a flight. Uh, you had a couple of flights, I guess, coming in uh, from different places. But ours was full of athletes from all different sports and age groups that were on the trip. You know, there was uh, about 1,150 people in the American delegation flying back, pretty much at different times to different places uh, yesterday evening to this morning. So there were a lot of people. Well, I think I think what I'm what I'm I should have probably asked is that when I came back last year on our birthright trip and having this incredible experience with a number of people with 35 people who did not know each other beforehand, and we obviously gelled as a family and as a group to the extent that we're still all in contact today. When we landed in JFK, it was very bittersweet. Everyone was tired. Everyone had just gotten off this flight, and everyone wanted to go home. But on the other hand, it was like, when are we going to see each other again? We had just gone through this experience and shared an experience that people dream about. And I imagine also for these guys who got off this plane with you this morning, there is a lot of that there. They are 18 and under. They just won gold. They they went through an experience that they probably dreamed about. Hopefully they can repeat as they get older. What was it like when they all said goodbye, or were they just too tired to think about it? No, it well, most of the goodbyes really took place uh, last night, but before the uh, before the buses left for the airports in uh, in Ramat Gan. But even uh, even this morning was just a continuation of the same. It was really a lot of guys trying to figure out, you know, what their game schedules were like, who they're playing that's near a city where somebody else will be in school. So, you know, or or for some of the guys that are all playing Ivy League when when Princeton's playing Cornell, when Cornell's playing Harvard, and when they'll all see each other at games and guys who are maybe playing in different places trying to figure out, you know, what games they can get to to see, you know, to see each other during the season and stuff like that. So it was, it was exactly that. It was bittersweet. It was nice to kind of get home. It was a long trip. We were away for about three and a half weeks. So it was right. certainly nice to get home and uh, see everybody's families and all that. But at the same time, yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot of these kids are going for the first time to Israel and experiencing things with, uh, you know, they've never been, you know, been the, some of them have never been to the hotel. Some of them never experienced a, uh, you know, a Shabbat. Certainly not in Israel. So it was just uh, a lot of a lot of emotions and a lot of and a lot of, uh, you know, spirituality that these guys kind of went through together, and something that probably will uh, keep them together throughout life. That was going to be my next question. How many people on the team? How many of the guys had never been to Israel before? Uh, most of them. I, really? I don't know the exact number. I would probably say it was probably seven or eight out of the twelve. Wow. Players. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Did that surprise you? Uh, no, because I mean, only only knowing the backgrounds of the guys beforehand, uh, you know, it wasn't so surprising. But um, you know, it's uh, it's certainly interesting. And what was it like for you? I mean, I can tell you what it was like for me to bring people to the hotel for the first time in their lives who had heard about it, dreamt about it, seen pictures, but had never been there. What were their reactions when you brought them to the hotel? Yeah, that was, it was the best. To me, it was you know, I mean, winning, winning gold is great, but this right. is the, that, that was the highlight. I mean, the highlight of the trip was just kind of seeing that you know, having been there as many times as we all have, and and experiencing all those things in the past. Now seeing it through these kids' eyes who are doing it for the first time, 
and and seeing their reaction to it when you know these are these are athletic tough cool 18 year old kids who you know are not necessarily the most outgoing with their uh with their you know expression of emotion and uh and to see the way the kotel or, or masada hits them and and to have them kind of speak about it afterwards is uh is fascinating that's yeah it's exactly the way it's exactly the way i felt and for me i was looking at i was bringing people who are in their mid to late 20s for the first time to the hotel right. and their expectations were different but there was so many tears there were so many tears and these are people obviously they emote they are women they are naturally more emotional we sorry we are naturally more emotional and just the reaction and the sheer awe and of course the 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 untold curiosity about what's going to happen or you know, what's going to happen when we get there and how do we put in a note and yep. what happens with the notes afterwards just the entire experience and then being blown away by the walkway on the side and the and the military presence etc i mean it's also it, it pulls at you in different directions absolutely i mean we we had you know we had a, a chance where the tour guide kind of set everybody down by the southern wall and gave everybody you know his paper and a pen and gave everybody about 2 3 minutes to kind of write a note so that we went over to the uh, hotel they could you know put it in and we had we had a group uh, our bus was our bus for touring was uh, was our basketball team as well as uh, as well as the youth swimming team which was you know 25 or so kids and uh, so you know it ended up being 30 about 40 kids that were writing notes and everybody kind of finished after 4 or 5 minutes and they started walking and I had one of my guys just sitting there and I stayed with him for about 10 minutes he wrote a three page letter <gasps> into the, you know, that he put wow. into the hotel. And it's just, it was interesting to see kind of how it hit different people differently and, you know, who who took what, you know, you know more to heart than, you know, something else. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. Well, now I have to get on to the whole I've watched Miracle too many times aspect of this conversation, which is the pride of wearing the American flag and representing the United States and winning gold. It's it's cool. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just a cool thing. I mean, and you know, it's something we said to the guys, uh, and actually they they said to each other a number of times throughout the trip. But certainly once we started to get towards the uh, the medal rounds and the semifinals, and and playing Brazil in the semifinals, and then finally the Israeli national team in the uh, in the in the uh, gold medal game. You know, I listen. If we if we went and played the uh, U.S. 18 under team, you know, that's going to go to the world championships, and I'm not talking about the Maccabiah games. Yes, there's a different level of basketball, obviously. Right. But the truth is, any time you get to put on a uniform that says USA on it and you're representing your country, Barack Obama spoke at the, you know, through, through a video clip, but he spoke at the opening ceremonies. Wow. And so did, you know, the Prime Minister in Great Britain and obviously uh, Bibi Netanyahu was there as well as um, whatever they call their prime minister in Australia. But, uh, you know, it's, it's any time you get to represent your country like that, and right. I don't care what the event is, it's just a, it's a very cool feeling. Yeah, there, there, there has to be. I mean, just watching your, I shouldn't say watching, just looking at your posts on Facebook and keeping track of what was going on that way. There was a tremendous pride yeah. that I felt even here, and it's a little bit selfish. It's a little bit... Um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, imperialistic, but there was something very, very real watching you guys huddle together with the flags around your necks and over your backs and, and watching you, you know, have the gold around your neck. Yeah, no, it, it was it was definitely a cool experience. And, you know, it, it, and, and it's fun because, you know, they, they they get into it a little bit. Even the, and the other countries are the same way. I mean, we, we played Canada in, in our fourth game, I want to say. They, they they had been talking trash all week. So really? It, it, yeah, I mean, it was The just, Canadians? Yeah, I know. They weren't just apologizing. Don't Canadians just apologize? After the game, they were, but <laughs> it, it was just—it was just interesting, and, and it kind of was, it was cool also because we were able to get the guys after we had won our, our gold medal game. The following night was the the open men and women's teams played in their gold medal games in, in Yerushalayim, uh-huh. and we were able to get a bus for the uh, for our team to go out there and support those teams. And it was just, it was cool to see, you know, to go out there and watch the, uh, the women play against Israel. So that was, you know, that was an interesting, obviously, experience to watch from the, from the stands as opposed to being on the court. Right. And then the men played against Argentina. And, uh, you know, and, and these teams, the, the men and the women's teams, you, you're talking, you're talking all Division One and pros, you know, in terms of the players. You're wow. talking guys who started at Michigan and Boston College and play for Maccabi Haifa or play for Oregon or, whatever it is and it was just it was very uh very cool experience to see all those guys you know with their usa jerseys again you know playing against pros and college players from whether it's israel or argentina or whatever it was you know the men and the women it was just uh it was nice who were the who were the teams or the countries you knew you needed to beat 
in our level, our level, we um, we expected probably Canada, Brazil, Israel, and Argentina to be tough. Um, Canada was tougher than we probably made it look. We we kind of played a real real good game against them. Uh, Brazil was a good team in the semifinals that we played, and, and Israel's team is terrific. Wow! So you had you knew you were going to have to play the Israelis at some point. Yeah, we 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 kind of expected that it would be uh, you know if we had if we were able to advance, we kind of expected that they would as well. And how was the reaction at the end when they took silver? Uh, it was good. I mean, they were they were they were very classy. It was uh, it was it was a it was a good game. It was you know we 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 probably were a little deeper and a little better. And uh, you know they played hard, we played hard, and I think there was a mutual respect there. And you know the guys all got along after the game, which was nice. And which of your which of your I would say competitors once you moved on in the rounds got behind you and gave you support. Well, we're kind of the front runners, I guess, and the, and the favorites. We don't really, we don't really get that until the end when it's over. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I think most of the teams there while we're playing are kind of rooting for that big upset. It was, it was what was cool was it was um, you know being uh, being the the U.S. team and and having I don't know if you saw the point spreads from some of the earlier games, but they were pretty wide. Right. And uh, you know our guys kind of felt like, you know, like the big men on campus because they were, you know, every team we played kind of wanted to take pictures after the game with the U.S. team. And, nice. And it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was an interesting experience. Did you guys wear your gold medals on the way home? No. <laughs> no, most, most of the guys, I think, gave them to their parents to take so they didn't lose them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. That's great. Well, congratulations on your win, Elliot. Tell me, Thank are you, you. going to do it again in two years? Uh, the, the, games are, the games in Israel, again, are every four years. So, four years, uh, sorry. I got I got a while to try to uh, convince my uh, wife that that's okay again. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't bring it up just yet. No, I'm gonna give it some time. That sounds like a good idea, and I'm sure she would like a gift. Anyway, Elliot, <laughs> thanks so much for joining me. Congratulations again on your win and to the entire team. Thanks so much. A pleasure. You're listening to That's Live here on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm Miriam Wallach. We are coming to you. Is it still raining outside? Oh, yes, it is. Sorry, Avram. Avrami's gonna leave. Back. To, what? I know you don't like rain, but I promise you, you won't melt. Avram is leaving to Baltimore back after um, our show, so he's hoping that it clears before him. But until then, we have our next guest who's actually joining me in the studio. Avi Roth is the owner and co-chef, or co-owner and chef. I don't know exactly which title goes, but either way, he was bussing tables last night at Gotham Burger when I was there with a couple of friends. And um, Avi joins us right now in the studio. Hello, Avi. Hello, man. How are you? Good, good. How Let are me you? tell you something. I think the biggest compliment I can give you as a vegetarian is how much I enjoyed my experience last night. And I and I'm not saying that to be funny, but somebody said, a friend of mine who was with me last night said, "Why did you want to come to a burger place?" I'm like, "What kind of a vote of confidence is it? It's the best kind of vote of confidence. If I can say as a vegetarian, I loved my experience. Kava Homer, what's going to happen if you actually eat meat?" I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> it's like when I tell people I like to go to La Marais, and they look at me like, why? I'm like, because they make a great piece of salmon. But the truth of the matter is, is that my veggie burger last night was fantastic. I'm so happy to hear that. We really try to make everything fresh, and we take pride in the fact that we make our own vegetarian burger. We knew that that would be an option that would appeal to a lot of people. Um, obviously, the burger is a signature burger, and I had a tough time putting a turkey burger on because I felt like the fat content wouldn't lend itself so much. Even with dark meat? Even with dark meat. Okay. Um, but, you know, there was an overwhelming need for it, so right. we put it on. But I always wanted to do a vegetarian burger. And uh, I, the truth is I eat it, and I love meat. It was and I really will eat good. it from time to time because it's just um, it's different, and it's it's light, and it's nice. And and is everything, everything I think, if I'm – mistaken my facebook is acting up any everything is served on a brioche bun correct no oh uh, was mine I yes have, yeah okay so the burgers traditionally are on a brioche that we have specially made for uh the burgers um the chicken sandwich is actually served on a seven grain bread because people who are ordering chicken by and large are probably doing it for a little bit of a healthier option and okay. so we decided to give it a seven grain and we found a wonderful bakery that does a phenomenal seven grain. And we put the steak sandwich on a Italian bread and we put the chicken parmesan, obviously. Quote unquote, using, right? Right. Real <laughs> cheese. We're using a substitute. But again, it took us a long time to find the right substitute. And uh, we served that on an Italian baguette, on a French baguette. So, um, so we've been we've been lucky. We've been playing around with a lot of bread sandwiches and things like that. But the brioche really is 
is the standard for the burgers and even the sliders. We just had our bakery do miniature versions of the brioche bun for the sliders. The brioche is a very interesting choice, specifically because it's not your necessarily go-to bun when somebody's going to the supermarket or whatever and they're picking up stuff for a barbecue they're not thinking about oh you know what maybe a brioche is a good idea because it'll stand up better and longer to the burger rather than a regular hamburger bun right so we went back and forth part of the reason that we thought of the brioche um and it does have a bit of a challah like consistency right but part of the reason was that we were making a substantial burger and we knew that it had to hold up the industrial hamburger buns, I felt like when I went to restaurants that had a burger of significance and I bit into it in an industrial bun between the ketchup and, you know, the lettuce and the onions, it would fall, fall apart. apart. Right. And then I've been to some higher end places that did it on, let's say, a ciabatta roll. Mm-hmm. And you had that crusty exterior, but it was almost fighting the bread to get to the burger. We wanted something where you bit into the burger and the burger would sell itself, the meat would stand out, but the bread would hold up to the things that were on it without overwhelming the meat. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic choice, and it also made it, for, and this is going to sound completely crazy, it made for a homier experience. For some reason, for me, like digging into that bun and not getting, no offense, a Dr. Prager's veggie burger, which, by the way, anytime I go someplace and they give you, oh, and there's like a vegetarian burger on the menu, it's always Dr. Prager. And Dr. Prager, I'm sure you're amazing, but I'm done with the burgers. So to go, to dig into a chickpea-based burger on the brioche bun, which, again, has that challah feeling to it, was such a different and homier experience that I was really very comfortable with my meal. And I really felt like it added to the entire experience. Well, I appreciate that. The... I don't know that normal people, by the way, pay attention to the whole thing, but I appreciated it. I I think that with the advent of things like Top Chef and other celebrity cook-offs and the Food Network, there's been an explosion of an awareness Mm -hmm. um, with food. And, you know, food is a – it captures the five senses, really. I mean, the smells, the sight of it, the obviously the taste, but even the feel of the – the sandwich, everything, you know, even when you hear the clicking of the glass, like right. when, you know, it's just something that really alivens everyone. And it's some, and something that everyone has in their house. Everyone has a kitchen and everyone, so everybody gets involved. I mean, I, I sit with customers all the time, as you saw yesterday, right. I was actually bussing tables. And um, when you sit with customers, people really have opinions about food right. because they do it. Jews they have know opinions? I mean, it's it's crazy. I know. It's crazy stuff I'm saying. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, both good and bad, it's the only way to really, you know, better the product that we're doing. And we're we're servicing the public. I mean, it's a service industry. One of the things that we talked about, uh, my partners and I, when we were starting Gotham Burger, was the fact that there, more often than not, you find that People are very, very provincial or they're very set in their ways when Mm -hmm. it comes to doing something because they feel that that's right and there's a certain expertise in that. And even when we started Gothenburger in New Jersey, you know, we had formulas for what we planned on doing. And when there was a overwhelming opinion to do it differently, we followed that opinion Mm. because first and foremost, the customer is going to tell you what they want. And by listening to the customer, you're really going to have – a change in experience. Now, obviously, even though we listen to every customer, I may have 50, 60 people telling me to do it one way and five or six telling me not to do it that way. So, you know, it's a matter of taste as well. And we lend ourselves to what we think is going to marry well with the majority of the opinions. Right. You can't, I mean, it's always important to hear all of the opinions. Right. And, and I say that also as hosts, when we get feedback from listeners, the, the most important thing to me is that we're getting feedback at all. And whether it's positive or negative, to me, the fact that people are taking the time to comment and to give us feedback shows that they care, shows that they're invested in what we're doing and that that they take it personally. And I would say the same thing probably also. Your heart and soul are in this restaurant and in the one in Teaneck, but you are Nogea Bedavar every single day on the Upper West Side. And that kind of, that kind of input from a customer hits to your to the core of you because this is they're interested in what you're doing they're taking it personally absolutely i mean we've we've spent um 
a lot of time looking at um, Facebook and getting back to the people right. who've had uh, questions or um, constructive criticism, as well as all the positive feedback right. to give us, you know, a rounded out opinion of what we should do going forward and how we should make it right. Obviously, it took us um, time to settle in in New Jersey as a first restaurant and even in New York. Right. It presents its own challenges. And one of the nice things is getting feedback that's that's in a way able to better our situation. You know, even the small things make a huge difference. You know, we we've done we've done different things just by adding a different vegetarian option by adding a portobello mushroom burger to the mix. And the salads. So, you have a number of salads on the menu. Correct, correct. And we did that, again, uh, we expanded the salad menu from Teaneck to New York, knowing that that clientele would appreciate, you know, that that um, that influx of right. other options. The piece and tablet, by the way, that came out in June when you guys opened, spoke to the fact that there was a need or a niche for a kosher sports bar where people could go after work, could get a beer, could get a dog, could get a burger, and just unwind, either with friends or or spouses or whatever it is. And that was part of, like, the environment I felt last night. And it felt good. Like, I was just – I was there with two friends, and we were just unwinding and enjoying the meal, and there are these huge flat screens. I mean, are there eight? Was I counting? There were eight. Yeah, okay, I was counting. I can count to eight. So there were eight massive flat screens, and we're watching the game on different angles. Just a nice opportunity to chill. And I said to one of my friends, I'm like, you know, I wouldn't bring my kids here during the week. And and she said to me, why? And I said, well, frankly, because everyone's here to chill. Like, they, my kids are very much like me and very much like my husband. And it's one thing to come here on a Sunday night when I when there's no expectation possibly of other clientele to just sit down with a beer and a dog and call it a day. So I think that that's something that I would, as a, as a I don't know, just as a thinker, would say this is probably something I would do on a Sunday night with my kids. And my kids would have a great time. I mean, the chili, the fries, the everything, the whole night, and, of course, the deep-fried Oreos at the end of the meal, which are ridiculous. Um, but during the week, I think I'd leave them home. Like, I think that this this idea of the sport of the kosher sports bar and the place to unwind for adults makes sense just in terms of the entire layout. So we do see we do see a demographic shift from the 5, 6 o'clock time periods to the later hours. Mm. And we see also um, a demographic shift from the, the week to the weekend warriors. Really? In terms of the Saturday night, we have... You're open till 4 a.m. Yeah. Right. And we have a ton of young adults, uh, young professionals in in and around the Upper West Side who are coming there. And it's funny because we open the doors. We make everything from scratch. And so Shabbos ending so late right. till we get in there and we're able to start prepping because we don't want to prep in advance. Mm-hmm. We start at 10, and we open the doors at 11. And at 10.30, we start to accumulate a line. And by 11 o'clock, when we open the doors, we're we're filling up. By 11.15, the place was full. And one of my um, servers, who's really off the boat from Ireland, um, (laughs) he's like, it's amazing. And I said, you don't know the half of it because (laughs) Jews primarily eat a very, very heavy meal (laughs) on Shabbos. This is not a fast day. They're not breaking their fast. This is... This is this is monumentally a different, and I think it's the environment right. and the vibe that keeps it so light and 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 kind of fun that it, it it's a go-to place to hang out and just enjoy and unwind. And it's what's funny is that in in New York at about one fifteen, um, it starts to slow up a little bit, mm-hmm. and you get stragglers in, but most of those eleven o'clock people, eleven fifteen people, are now leaving the restaurant, and. This Irish boy says to me, you know, it seems like it's going to be a little slower. And I said, wait till two. And he's like, really? <laughs> two o'clock? I said, just see, because the last three weeks were indicators. And sure enough, at two o'clock, no after way. movies, right. after parties or different things, it was mob. Unbelievable. And 3.30. And I said to my mother, I'm like... I can't believe that at 3.30 people are ordering steak and burgers. These are the people I wonder how they wake up in the morning, Flashix, and I just don't understand. But I think that clientele is not wake. Like, I have to wake up with my kids at 7. Right. I don't think they're group. waking up with their kids at 7. It's so a different demo. A it's a totally different demo. I completely agree with you. Avi Roth is the owner and chef at Gotham Burger on the Upper West Side that opened... 
what are you, seven weeks old now? Seven weeks in New York, yeah. Seven weeks, which is crazy exciting and to rave reviews and to great buzz. I mean, I said to you yesterday that the first time I tried to go, I got turned away at the door and you apologized. I'm like, what are you apologizing for? I'm happy that your store is moving. Like, it should be packed. But that's Bliai and Hara every night. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Much to my wife's chagrin, right. it well, is every yeah. night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as, as my husband would say, it pays the bills. Right. What's the most exciting or most uh, popular item, I should say, on the menu? Okay, so the burger is our bestseller. And our chicken Which fingers. Which burger? The, the standard the, burger? The standard Gotham burger. Um, and our chicken fingers are, are a very hot seller. But something that we've done, um, we've taken um, a beef fry. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. You said this last night. And we've we've doctored it. We've applewood smoked it, and then we've maple glazed it. And uh, literally, this is the funniest thing. Abel's and Heinemann, we order our beef fry through them. Mm-hmm. They do a run every couple of weeks, and they do a run for the New York, the, um, the United States. Mm-hmm. They do 800-pound runs. Jeez. We order oh. 600 pounds. <gasps> That's Every a lot run. of cow. That's a lot of cow. So, And we burn through that. It's funny because wow. I've gotten a lot of complaints saying, you know, we heard about the beef fry. You're out of the beef fry. We heard raves about the beef fry. You're not selling the beef fry. And I said, my supplier is – I'm waiting on my supplier. Right. I, I mean, I can't – You're seriously doing the best you can uh, besides exactly. going to Super Soul and buying them out, whatever they have on the counter. Exactly. But that's great. That, right. That's so got to feel good. And we're really, really excited about that and, and – the deep fried Oreos just they deep sell deep fried Oreos. They sell out. <laughs> and uh, and I have to tell you, as a person who, re- I mean, you can see there's there's a bowl of salad sitting here right next to the computer in the studio, and that is like my go-to. But somebody had said to me, "Don't leave without the Oreos." I'm like, deep fried Oreos? Am I really doing this? And am I happy? I did. I ate a rummy. I'm telling. All right, I know we didn't bring you any, but <laughs> he, you should know that Avrami's complaints all the time is that we talk about food. We have different people on who deal with food, and we never bring him anything. Um, sorry about that. I ate yours, but the the deep fried Oreos were outrageous. And even when I brought home that set that you set home for Stephen, he's like, "What are these?" I'm like, "They're deep fried Oreos." And he looked to me, he's like, "Okay, man, how bad could it be? Forget how bad could it be. They were outrageous." Oh, we love it. I, I was I was 60 pounds heavier before I went on the deep fried Oreo diet. <laughs> Hello, I was 60 pounds heavier yesterday before I had this, <laughs> before I ate there. Now, the other two things, there's one, the, the milkshakes. Now, obviously, we're using the word milk in quotation yeah, marks. Yeah, we're not even, in in New Jersey, we're not even allowed to call it a milkshake. Really? What do you call we it? We call it a parv shake or Gotham shake. Okay. And what, what you call them in the city, you call them? We call them par, we call them Gotham shakes. Okay. And they're the, they are made out of soy milk? They're made out of? They're made out of mostly out of a very superior par of ice cream. Okay. And then we use some thickening agents and some creams to obviously non-dairy. Right. To to enhance cream the and flavor. quotation mark. Right. And some and some you know some vanilla extract and bean to get the vanilla you know uh, chocolate um, like a rich um, Calbit's chocolate to bring out the chocolate flavor and then strawberries to bring out the strawberry. We have coconut for you know we try to use. As many fresh ingredients. Really, you know, when I went to culinary school and I... I was about to say, we have to talk about that in a minute. Right. I've done that later in life. I mean, I my mother ripped Creole when I left Columbia's doctoral <laughs> program and left my practice yeah. to come uh, be flip burgers, but... Right, you have tr- a degree in developmental <laughs> psychology, That's correct? Right. And I, By the way, the two friends I was with last night after you came to the table and took our menu and, and took our order and whatever, I looked at them I said... By the way, you need to know he has a degree in developmental psychology. And they both looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, I swear. He's got a degree in developmental psychology. This is his second life. Yeah. And they're like, they they just looked at me. I said, and I imagine, and I'm not saying this to be funny, but you use your degree every single day in running a restaurant. I had a learning center for kids with right, developmental but- needs. I promise you I use my degree much more between my staff and the clientele. I uh, totally understand because I've tried to explain to people that I have a master's in English and I have a master's in education. I use them more on the radio (laughs) and running the network than I did in the classroom, which doesn't mean I was a bad teacher. It's just a totally different application of my training, but it is it is it is relevant every single day. And it pays dividends. Oh, and then some. I mean, we talk about the philosophy in Gotham is where um, everyone, the customer comes first. Right. And, and it's a, it's a dying art, customer service mm-hmm. in general. I mean, 
the the tagline of can I help you with what else can I help you with? Right. But if you help me with the first thing, I wouldn't need anything else to help you with. With the big companies, and I felt like when we're going to open something, whatever it is, you're going to have to make sure that the customer is really heard, even if you don't agree, even if you feel like they're wrong. That and we impart that to our employees, and we hope that they impart that to the clientele. I felt like the entire restaurant experience itself, there it was a very, um, I don't know, the, uh, the only word I can come up with is complete. Like somebody had really thought about every part of my dining experience and um, and made sure that it was done, that it was done well, whether it was the way the seats are, the way the, the, the restaurant itself is designed or the lighting or the arch in the middle. Does that change colors, by the way? Yes, it does. That's I got to get something in my house that changes <laughs> colors besides Stephen's skin. There's, <laughs> it's true. He gets angry with me. the kids. Can the kids can play with it all day long? That's yeah. That's what we need is more entertainment at the Wallachs. But tell me when you change the colors, just for so a Saturday nights. You know, sometimes if it's you know a little bit more, uh, you know, different type of atmosphere later at night, mm-hmm. you start to you know almost at an eight o'clock. 8 o'clock, 8.30 hour, we start to dim the lights. Right. That I noticed last night. Right. And turn on on those lights that go under the booths and above the booths and then in that archway. We we gutted that entire space to change it, to try to get what you're saying, that effect of the seating and, and to try to get that complete feel. And it's something that we work on every day, meaning we're not satisfied with where we are. And I know that at the beginning, there are always kinks to work out in, right. in every area. But we really do try to listen and think of ways that we can improve. Every day in the morning, we sit for a couple of hours. You know, it's funny because people say, well, you don't get busy till like 4, 4.30. What are you doing? And, and, and really, we at 8 in the morning, we start prepping for the day. Mm. And we, we sit and go over ways that we can change the things that weren't done to the best of our abilities to make sure that we are moving in that direction. We only have a couple of minutes left, and I know that our next call, which is actually from Israel, is calling in right now. But I want to ask you how you used your the experience from Teaneck, from your store in Teaneck. It's on Queen Anne Road, right? Yes. The yes. store, the restaurant in Teaneck, how you used that and learned from it to build the one on the Upper West Side. Uh, I think that the restaurant in Teaneck is, is our first child. <laughs> And yeah. you're always going to have you're always going to have um, the first experience with a first child, right. but second child is never going to be like the first child. So. And you love them differently. A- absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Although my managers will my managers will now dispute who I love more. <laughs> right. But but the truth but the truth be told, every experience we got in Teaneck was a first for us to understand uh, flow and. Um, what people really want and what they like and what they don't like. And that helped us to shape an environment where we were actually looking at ways to um, be very customer sensitive and ways to help with our flow and understand where our items are going to be. One of the things that um, my manager who now runs the store ostensibly in Teaneck while I'm with the new mm-hmm. baby, um, <laughs> he really – um, he, we analyzed the data of how many burgers we sold on a Sunday from hour to hour. Wow. And that gave us an idea of how to navigate the waters because at the beginning, when we got hit with a rush and there was a line out the door and we were making everything fresh, people were waiting. And we really tried to cut down that time by saying, look, we know that in an hour we're going to sell 100 burgers. So let's start making so that this way when the people come in, they're still going to get it fresh. But it's not going to be because we don't have a heat lamp. Right. We don't keep things wow. on a warmer. But this way we know they're going to turn by the time we get in. And if we have to throw out a couple of burgers or, or per, put them in the chili for the next day, that's it's something worth it that for we're the experience. Wi- exactly. Right. I got gotcha. you. And so that helped us for New York know how to kind of prepare. And even with all the preparation, there's still things, growing pains that we go through every well, day. Well, Jesse Blonder at the Center for Kosher Culinary Arts is a good friend of ours at the network. And I would not want to give props to your experience there. You graduated from there, correct? I did. I was in the first graduating yeah. class, and I love Jesse. I mean, I yeah. loved the whole experience, and I think what you put into that program is what you get out. And, I, you know, Jesse considers me a, a big success of his, and it wasn't something I was going to do. When I came out of culinary school, I went back to my uh, practice. Silly rabbit. And then, and then, <laughs> and, and I've come to him for advice and Chef Weissman, right. and all the people at the Kosher Culinary School, because 
they're fantastic. I mean, we look for our graduates from there, from their program. Nice. We really, we love the things that they're doing there and we want to see them grow. And, you know, like as we open up more Gotham Burgers, we hope to incorporate all of our culinary school graduates. Well, I think that you should continue opening them up. And I would say that the next one should be on Central Avenue in the five towns. Right now on the Upper West Side, Gotham Burgers is open on 96th and Amsterdam. Reservations for parties of 10 or more. I guarantee you that if you wait, even if it's 10, 15 minutes or a little bit longer, you will definitely appreciate the experience that you had there. Avi Roth, thank you so much for joining me and continued Hatzlacha. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And my next guest is a returning guest. I'm so happy she was able to make it today. Even at the last minute, Jessica Steinberg is the culture and lifestyle editor at Times of Israel. And it is, uh, it's getting late for you. She's been living and working. In- <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, no. <laughs> We're just, you know, doing Shabbat preparations over here. Yeah, I got a couple yeah. hours. I got a couple hours until that. And I have a feeling when you wake up in the morning, you can call me and I'll still be in the kitchen. She's been living in Yerushalayim for the last 16 years. She's covered Israel business and economic scene for Bloomberg, Dow Jones, Jerusalem Post, The Forward, and she's been writing about Israeli life, fashion, culture, and parenting for the New York Times, the International Herald Tribune, Women's Wear Daily Tablet, JTA Hadassah, and Parents.com. Hello, Jessica. Hello, Miriam. If How you are put, you? If you put anything else on that bio, by the way, I'm going to have to leave more time for <laughs> we you. Can, we, we, can, <laughs> we can leave some things off. Yeah, no, no, no. I, happen to, I happen to like it. And I'm so happy you were able to come on because we get to give everybody an update about Better Place. Now, Better Place, for those people who do not know, is the car consortium. It's the electric car company that everyone was all excited about in Israel that, um, that went bankrupt. Right, right. Um, let me say before we get to the before we get to the bankrupt part, let me just say that what was what was very exciting about Better Place um, was the founder Shai Agassi, who is a very for, is a very forward thinking entrepreneur. The thing that he did differently in Israel was to um, raise a lot of money and then put up these charging stations all over the country, um, which meant that you could travel the width and breadth of the country and never have to worry about charging your car. Right. And, of course, that's doable in Israel because it is so small. And the idea was that they would do it here first and then roll it out in other countries. Um, and, unfortunately, the, co- the company went bankrupt after sinking a lot of money mm. um, into, the, you know, into the system. And uh, and then what happened was uh, back they they went bankrupt in June, and then what happened was that in let me get my let me get my calendar correct here um, <laughs> about a month later a lot has happened over the course of the last two months. Um, basically, they burned through more than eight hundred million dollars in five years and Which sold is crazy. barely. It's a crazy yeah. number. Right, and sold barely 2,000 of the electric cars. And the cars themselves were, were Renault, right. uh, uh, you know, which is obviously a French car. You right. don't see that much, but in the States, you definitely see a lot of Renaults here. It's a very big sedan. The, it's called, it was the Fluence. It was a, a very big sedan that, on one hand, like I wrote in one of my pieces, it looked a lot like your grandfather's Cadillac in terms of length. Right, but um, it, it drove. If you haven't driven an electric car, it was like this amazing purr. It, it felt very light when you drove it. Um, right, it, just, it didn't it, lumber. It just, like electric cars don't. They're not hunkering that way. It's just no. You don't feel no, the whole right. Exactly. You don't shake. You don't shake. Right, right. It just it glides. Right, it really glides. Um, so then what happened was here that you know better place. People who had the cars absolutely loved it and a few weeks before they actually went bankrupt the car owners in israel formed what we call an amuta a non-profit organization and the reason they formed the amuta was really was much more about you know sort of banding together and saying hey we all love this car and let's hope that our company makes it and because we really don't want to go back to uh to gas guzzlers um and, uh, but then what happened was the car went, the, the company went bankrupt, and then they said, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like, this right. is our car. And, right. and in Israel, um, as has been pointed out by many people, um, a lot of people have only one car. Right. Um, 
because gas costs so much money. Insurance costs a lot of money. You live in a city. You get by with one car. And for some people, their better place car was the only family car. Right. So if the company goes bankrupt, what what? is going to happen to your car? And I, well, uh, okay. not, not to interrupt, uh, you know what, continue your yeah, sentence. Yeah, please, 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 interrupt wherever you want. No, because I story. am, it, it is a long story, but one of the things that I am so surprised about, and I'm not exactly sure how to segue that from where you are to where my question is, is that there are, you wrote in the article, there are 350 better place cars sitting in the Alot port with more than four, 500 drivers waiting to buy them. And so you have people who their only car, the car company, went out of business. And then you have people who have been on a waiting list for a car that they're now sitting there for whatever ungodly reason. They're just sitting there on the port. They can't even get access to them. But even when they get access to them, then what? Is there right. going to be enough money? It actually, it, it actually is a good segue. Basically, it's like this. So, so there are people who wanted to buy a better place car partially because before they went bankrupt, they had these amazing sales on the cars because obviously they're saying, Let's at least sell the cars that we have that are ready to go. Right. They went the down car, from. The company, they went just so people understand. They went down yeah, from forty-four thousand dollars a car to nineteen five. Right. Now I can right. tell which you, is, in, which is insane. In the the no seventy thousand shekel nineteen five is incredibly cheap right. for a car in Israel. Just to give you a sense. Forget it. It's cheaper. It's at this point for a full size sedan. It's cheap for a car here. Call the homer. Okay. For, call the homer for an electric car. I mean a Prius. Right. I mean normally for that price you'd be getting a little tiny. Exactly. You know, a little tiny, you know, zip around town right. kind of car. Right. Um, you know, like a little Suzuki or a little Mazda. I was about to say a Mazda, Mazda three. A Mazda three is exactly what I was about to say. Uh, okay. So then, yeah. So then, <laughs> we're, so I guess cars are, are are closer aligned than I thought they were. So just to sort of, so then just to connect to your very good question, because that, that is, that is very much where we're headed here. Long story short, Yosef Abramowitz, um, who is a local entrepreneur, American, moved to Israel a bunch of years ago, mm-hmm. moved directly to Kibbutz Kituran, the south, to sort of take some time off with his family and think about Aliyah, walks outside, feels the hot sun, and then from that says, why aren't we doing more solar power? And Israel founds a company called Arava Power, which has had a lot of good successes. When he hears about Better Place, and he does not own a Better Place car, he says, this should be the ultimate, the ultimate Israeli company. Right. You know, let's use solar power in these cars. Let's take this cooperative of drivers and make them the owners. So that is what he's been trying to do over the last month. He, Yosef Abramowitz, working with the cooperative of car owners, but the, the, car, the cooperative of car owners are not the people, actually there's an update from my latest article. They are not actually the ones who have now purchased Better Place from the liquidators, from the government. It is actually Yosef Abramowitz and Harry Shiner, who is a, another local investor type, uh-huh. and a corporation that they're calling Sunrise Corporation. Okay. The idea is that the cooperative of drivers will be the ones owning this company, but they couldn't get things operating quickly enough in order for the the Amuta, this cooperative of drivers, to become an actual operating cooperative. And you now they got it. The now, legal differences here. And now they have thirty million dollars in in financing offers from overseas. But, from right, Yosef Abramovich has raised a lot of money now in the last five years to run his company, Arava Power, obviously has a lot of con- has, has a lot of contact within the investment community, was able to, to raise that money very quickly. And what they're dealing with right now are some legal, you know, basically legal issues. They've got cash flow issues. So they have to get the money in order to get the company running, in order to do what they said they were going to do right. when they won the company from the liquidators. Jessica, so we have, really, we have a lot of... We yeah, have, sorry. sorry. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. We have just about a minute left, and I just want to ask yeah. you this question, and then I, yeah. I very much look forward to continuing this conversation because this is going to be in the news for a while. This is like yeah. this is the story that everyone hoped would be the major success, and here we are. Are they looking to potentially sell these cars overseas? Like, are they looking to sell them in the United States just to make money? No, I don't think so. I think what they're basically looking to do is to bring electric vehicles into Israel and to do it successfully, to not do it just with the Renault, but to do it with other electric cars as well, like the Tesla or any other car that comes on the market. 
What they are looking to do, like to bring to the U.S. and to other countries, and I think the U.S. could be could be down the line for sure, is to bring the operating system, which mm. is a successful system. That's the idea. Got it. To really perfect it. And that's something, just to one more line. Yeah. Paul Singer, writer of Startup Nation, um, who is also a Better Place car owner and right. opened Startup Nation with an anecdote about Better Place. That's his whole thing. He said, just like many other technologies, that's what Israel does well. Wow. It's taking a technology and making it work well and making it work well in different situations. And that's what Better Place can do. And the question is, will they be able to? Well, culture and lifestyle editor Jessica Steinberg at timesofisrael.com. Please keep me informed about what's going on here. Please keep our listeners informed. And I hope you'll come back soon and give us an update. Happily. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jessica. Have a good Shabbos. Take care. You too. Take care. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We have a full afternoon of programming, and i got to get it all in in four minutes or less. Something to talk about with Randy starts right after this show is over. She has Israeli writer and director Rama Bernstein of Fill the Void. She talks to Randy about her critically acclaimed film, what it was like to walk the red carpet, the premiere. You do not want to miss her conversation with with uh, Rama Bernstein. Following that, Ellie Hagler, the Jewish Reaction, presents the OU. Sorry about that. The, o, the OU presents the Jewish Reaction. This week, Ellie's show focuses on music with the word Yachan, and it's 13 songs from 13 different artists, including, including a live version recorded at the Yom NCSY from Mini Israel last week. In the background, by the way, if you're listening to that, you're listening to Eyal Golan's Mangina. It's off of his Nagat Liba Lev album. Our trip to Israel is happening before you know it. Please God, we'll be in Israel in less than two weeks, which is why I'm playing that in the background. Later on today, we have Thursday Night Extravaganza with Nachum, followed by the Stun Show, hosted by Mark Zomik. It was recorded at Champions Gate on Friday, where Mark interviews Rabbi Ronnie Schwartzberg, the director of rabbinic placement at YU, as the young Israel of Teaneck searches for a new leader. Book of Life with Charlie Harari, and then, of course, Charlie Burnout at 11 p.m. Tomorrow, Nachum will not be joined by Malcolm Holmline for the update, but he will be on from 6 to 9, hosting JM in the AM, followed by Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Naomi has a full lineup. You do not want to miss it, including, as we just mentioned, Jesse Blonder, director and co-owner of Center for Kosher Culinary Arts, with an update as to what's going on there. Check our entire program schedule on the website, NachumSiegel.com. This show will be rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. Finally, my thanks to Avrami for joining me here today. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Ah, ah, ah.